Yeah, you're fine. Yeah, and we're recording. Okay. And now, coming to you live from the Gresham Room, high above the Creed Street Motel 6, it's Jonathan Strahan and Gary K. Wolf on episode one of season 13 of the Hugo Award-winning Creed Street podcast with very special guests, Alex Harrow, Ian Mond, and James Bradley. I should have had a long Creed Street podcasting. Anyway, hello, everybody. Hello. Hi. Welcome. Actually, I should probably go around. I, I should probably go around to make sense of this so we can actually say hello properly. Hello, Alex. Welcome back after what's been about a month. How are you? I'm doing excellent. We had a, a freak winter storm to start 2022, so I lost power for four days with two young children. It's been a really exciting time. <laughs> <laughs> and how about you, Ian? Hello, welcome back. Other than writing furiously for Locus, how was your, your uh, holiday season been? No, that's basically all I was doing. I was writing furiously my year in a review for Locus. That's, <laughs> so... You know, I don't do Christmas, uh, and uh, well, I do New Year's, but I don't do. So basically, I just hunkered down while Omicron swept through the country, and that was fun, <laughs> and it still is. It continues to be a joy. Continues, <laughs> yes. yes. Disease and straight ten- tennis players. Oh, what a year! And how about you, James? How's it been for you? Oh, good. I had a break. It was really very pleasant, and it was good because I couldn't do anything because everything was closed because the Omicron outbreak. But um, yeah, no, it's been very pleasant. You know, kind of doing nothing and then I had to go back to work which was extremely depressing <laughs> you know, I, I had this plan I was gonna like write some like work during my break and I- fair enough and how about you Gary <laughs> winning Hugo and then go on a victory lap over the front room or, or I, 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 I tried to do that I, well it's, it's like uh, all of you must have family members who have no interest in our field at all and you try to explain what a Hugo is I actually had somebody say you mean the Yugoslavian car and I said no <laughs> And then, so I thought, I, I came to the conclusion that it's completely unknown outside our little circle. And then a couple of days ago, and I don't know if you get the TV show Jeopardy in Australia. Yeah, you we, don't? Do. we do. You do. We do. We Two do. days we do. ago, the Hugo Awards was a category on Jeopardy. Yeah. <laughs> and, and there was a picture of Chip Delaney on the screen, yes. which nobody got. So I thought, I was this close. We were this close to being an answer on Jeopardy. Well, not that close. Actually, not close at all. Actually, not even remotely possible, but nevertheless. Gary, I'm shocked, Gary, that you only just figured out that no one in your family gives a shit about fans. I've known that since I was about eight years old. I I tell people that, you know, to me it's an honour to be reviewing for Locus. I tell people that they go, what, who, and where and that's and i just don't bother anymore it's so very true. no it's it's, uh, it's you know. it, it, it always backfires you should have seen me trying to explain to my dean what a, a, a world fantasy award for non-professional meant i mean what do you mean non-professional of course we knew you were unprofessional it's it's <laughs> hang on gary but surely the golden moment is when you're trying to impress them with your world fantasy award and then you show them it and i know that's at, even worse at, at they, and they look at this and mm-hmm. you go uh Right. For those of you who are on, you, those of you who are on radio only, Jonathan just held up a Gay and Wilson bust of HPL, which looks yeah, like which the ugliest dildo. Yes, <laughs> you've got a very strange view of sex toys, mate. That's all I've got to say. That ain't no sex toy. <laughs> so, oh, God, I guess... how do we get there so quickly? <laughs> <laughs> and how quickly can we get away from there? No. I suppose I should ask each of you how how you're feeling about the the reading and 
book year we have coming ahead. Are you feeling optimistic and positive, a little bit kind of like worn out by the last couple of years, not able to bear it? How is it? How about for you? 2022 is two weeks old. How are you feeling about the reading year at least? Yeah, well, only, specifically and only about the books, I'm feeling great. I'm feeling like I was looking at the list that I had and, I, oh, they're all weird. That's great. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that genres are starting to mix freely. There's there's more books that I have a really hard time uh, summing up quickly <laughs> or being like, oh, it's like one of these type of books because it's not like a type of book yet. So I'm really excited about that part. Yeah. How about you, you Ian? So... Very good, very positive, but I realise and I keep realising, and it's something that your podcast emphasises too, is that we can never capture everything. Like, as of yesterday, mm. I just found out that there was a novel published last year, I'd love to have read a book by Harry Josephine Giles called Deep Wheel Orcadia, which is the first hard science fiction novel written in Orkney or, or Orcadia, the, the in verse. So it's oh. an Orkney science fiction hard science fiction novel i'm showing it here there's it on the kindle so that's a space station there on the screen and it only just it came out last year but but no one's i missed it i had no idea this existed and and it just reminds you edges out there and how much we miss so of course i'm excited about the year to come because you will come because even though i miss that we'll all stumble across something special uh, in the next 12 <laughs> months that we won't discuss here now and i just Not want sure. to say There'll be stuff we will not discuss here now that 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 will blow us away that we'll have missed. Yes. So yeah, this this being in the yeah. I, I so do think go, it's fair James, to say did you know about the Orkney? Did you know about the Orkney science fiction novel, James? I didn't. And I, I mean, it surprises me that when you talk to your family about what you do, that they're confused by it when you talk about Orkney. Um, no, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't know that it existed. It sounds fascinating. <laughs> no, but there is something about that kind of just the amount out there and the kind of diversity of it which is both kind of exhausting and exciting at the same time isn't there i mean i something i've been thinking a lot about a lot in the last six months or so is that everyone keeps saying i just want things to go back i just want things to stabilize suspecting a bit but i actually think normal's gone like i mean i think this is this is what the world is like from now on and what's really fascinating to me is watching writing and publishing and fiction kind of mutating incredibly fast to keep up with you know to try and keep up with a world that is just you know increasingly what's that alex stefan notion of kind of we've entered the disc you know and and you can see the fiction trying to kind of do that you know trying to keep up with it and that's really yeah and how about for you, Gary? Are you sitting here in year 395 of your Locus Reviewing going, Well, I think the, 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 the one caveat I put down every time I, I try to talk about books that I'm looking forward to, by the time the year is over, the books that I most enjoyed, many of them were ones I didn't even know existed at the beginning. of. And yeah. in some sense, the book I'm looking forward to is one I don't know about, possibly by a writer I've never heard of, that, and maybe from Orkney, who knows? Um, but there, there's all there are always things coming along during, the, and I think I, th- I think given the uh, the kind of stress that James just described, fiction is becoming more unexpected than, than ever. And what Alex said about genres being destabilized, something I've been arguing for a long time, but now you can almost see it happening in real time. Yeah, I mean, certainly I'm just looking forward to Orkney. Yeah. We can have Orkney Con. Orkney Con. <laughs> you guys are getting a bit fixated on this. They do have a very good distillery. So I shouldn't. I shouldn't. Have, I shouldn't have brought it up. But I. Do, I do find what's interesting. I know we're going to talk mostly genre in this world. Ninety-nine point nine percent genre. I am genuinely fascinated to see what works do because I've noticed in the last year how everyone's skipping around the uh, the pandemic. They'll do stories set a few years prior uh-huh. or historical fiction. No one. 
seems to be desperately wanting to set a book in 2020 or 2021 right now. So contemporary mainstream literary fiction, I am genuinely fascinated to see how they deal with the next, uh, this, this next 12, 18. Uh, just, yes, but that's echoing the, what James has said. Yes, will it be the great forgetting where we just pretend that didn't happen because it's just too much to think about? And how, how can you make everybody getting stuck in their houses for three years into a dramatic thing? It's all too hard. Anyway, exactly. we're here to talk about books to look forward to, some of which, with full disclosure, we've already read, dear listeners. So we're kind of going, books for us to look forward to, because we're excited, books for you to look forward to. So what we're going to do is we're going to go around one by one through our wonderful panelists and talk about books they're looking for. And we're going to do it absolutely fairly in alphabetical order. Start off with Alex. And See, what's your first What's your first book you're going to, you would recommend to people in 2020? I put mine in uh, order of release date. And so this is just chance, but the first one I'm going to talk about is Sequoia Nagamatsu's How High We Go in the Dark, which is out January 18th. And it's exactly what you guys were talking about, which is a literary novel It's finally like, all right, so the pandemic, it is a plague book um, in a huge way. And I'm really surprised at my list because I was sent this and it's very open that it is a plague book. And I was like, no, no, thank you. I don't want any of that. But apparently we're entering year three of pandemic and like my brain has finally accepted the reality. Very much what James was saying, like, this is a new normal and like I am starting to be in things that grapple with that. And so this book is gorgeous. It is not fully this plague, which I think helps me a lot in terms of like dealing with how this um and it's sort of a combination climate apocalypse pandemic moving from the beginning of it into the future in what function are connected short stories to me. I mean, it's all a novel, but like it's very much moving through characters in time and place. Um, and I think not saccharine, not deep, but very like it is these little tiny in a fundamentally broken and breaking world, which I find for whatever reason is very resonant to me right now. <laughs> so I'm excited about it. Okay. Ian. What's your first book? So my first one, The This by Adam Roberts, who's one of my recent favourite writers. Um, so nominally, it's about a new social media platform called The This, uh, which allows you to tweet uh, without uh, using your hands. It actually, it's a sort of form of functional telepathy. Uh, telepathy. It's a, a thing they stick under your palate of your plate of your mouth and you're able to tweet, you know, your mind. Uh, that's that's the nominal idea of the novel, but really, that's barely. That's I'm, I'm sort of that's I'm touching the, the very very top of the iceberg uh, because, as Adam joked on Twitter, it's a um, novelization of uh, Hegel's uh, <laughs> the phenomenology of spirit, <laughs> uh, because only Adam Roberts, uh, who wrote the thing itself, which this book talks directly to would mm. decide to go from Immanuel Kant to Fife Hegel, uh, you know, because, of course, who who, 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 who wouldn't? Uh, it is probably the most difficult book in the European philosophical canon, so the idea that you would novelise it is insane, and yet somehow <laughs> uh, Roberts pulls it off in a way that's not pretentious or um, him just being clever, clever. I think there's this view that, and it might be applied to Roberts, but there's a few writers in the same boat that they're just trying to be clever and show how, you know, how skillful they are. But the thing about Roberts is that he's got a, there's an emotional resonance to this novel. It is about, it's not just about Hegel. It's about understanding Hegel. And, and look, I don't want to, I could spend four hours talking about this book and I won't, but it's about, uh, the, about love and the nature of love and how we learn to love 
thing, people and objects and other stuff. The way he does it, it's non-linear. It moves all over the shop. It sort of has two main characters, but does it? Yes, it's what it is. And I want. I'm, I'm not only do I look forward to it, I probably read it again. If I is wonderful, huh. terrific, and I, and I am glad that Roberts is going back to those sorts of books because there was a time there a few years back where I'm sure it was the place for him. But yeah, I'm very excited. Terrific. Excellent. Well, James, how about you? It's 2022. Well, I must say both have just been mentioned were ones I almost uh, ones I was going to put on my list, and I, I'm 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 very distressed that Ian's already read uh, read Adam Robertson's books. I'm looking to it forward to it very much. Um, the first of mine I can talk about was in fact Jennifer Egan's Candy House, um, which is it's been promoted as kind. Look, I'm I'm unlike the rest of you. I have read this, so they are all genuinely things I'm looking. Um, but I mean, I think that it is a kind of sequel of sort to A Visit from the Goon Squad, her 2010 novel. And I think mm-hmm. Visit from the Goon Squad is a really important novel. I mean, I think it is. Obviously, those kind of generic boundaries had been blurring before that. But I do feel like that's the book that was the real beachhead into the kind of literary world from the kind of speckled world. It was that kind of moment. And, you know, the, those final chapters where it kind of goes into the future. It felt to me like a where something came across. And she's a really interesting writer. Um, I must say, I didn't actually love the book that came in between Manhattan Beach, which is kind of historical novel set in the Second oh, World War. Did you? Yeah, look, I, I liked it. it's okay. You know, I just felt like, I mean, the thing I love <laughs> about her books is there's this kind of, they're very tea, they're very kind of restless. There's that kind of metafictional edge to lots of them that makes them really exciting. I felt like Manhattan Beach felt like a very tasteful, tidy kind of historical novel to me. So it was like you had this writer who usually does these kind of big ideas with stuff fizzing around who'd gone, I can also do a kind of lovely, sleek, you know, kind of this kind of book. And it just, it never quite caught fire for me. Like I liked it, but it never quite caught fire for me. A number of her other books have. And so I'm really looking forward to Candy House. It's a book about, um, again, it's an idea about a kind of techno advance. And I think it's something where you can externalise your kind of mutates through a series of, of kind of short narratives across time. But again, it's a, a bit like the Adam Roberts book. It sounds like it's one of these books, which is about kind of that moment when technology and media suddenly start altering us at a kind of cognitive and conceptual level you know and we are kind of at that moment in history so it's a really fascinating thing to be writing about that kind of alteration of consciousness or was that line of virginia Woolf's, you know on or about the gary can remember the date for me you know human consciousness changed now come we're at one of those moments again gary pull me out the date because i can't remember (laughs) (laughs) it was on a tuesday i think <laughs> with oysters. Yeah, so uh, how about you, Gary? What are you looking for? I'm going to start to? with the deadest author on my list. There's a novel, uh, the posthumous novel, unfinished novel by John M. Ford called Aspects. I know almost nothing about it, but uh, A Dragon Waiting many years ago was one of the books that changed the way I read or thought about historical fantasy. I've not reread it since. It's one of those things where a book impresses you so much you don't want to go back and look at it, but I've had conversations with people who've read it since then who are equally impressed. So I don't know how this was finished. I don't know what's gone into it. I've read some of his short fiction. I've read a couple of other things. He's been dead for what, 30, 40 years now. Um, but I think this sort of effort to resurrect him, uh, to, to, to bring him back into the mainstream of fantasy literature may be helped by this. It may not be. It may be the book. The book may be a huge disappointment, but it's the book I'm most curious of that's coming out. Okay. Well, I'm completely cheating because we shared our lists in advance. 
and I've come across another book that I'm desperately back in 1942. Walt Disney made a movie about it, and it's a moving ah. whatever story, right? Now we all know the story, children's movie based on a children's book by Felix Salton, which was translated in 1928. Except it's not a children's as happen sometimes the translations are heavy bowdlerizations of stories and next month princeton university is going to publish a fresh tra- of bambi by felix salton that's been translated by jack zeit which reveals it as a complex adult novel about treating with minorities around the world all this other kind of thing and it sounds fascinating and i sim- i'm just very very excited to read it to get a hold of it i uh not normally my kind of thing but I, but i'm really eager and i'm also thinking gary maybe we should get jack sipes on the podcast talk i'd love to get jack on because you, you, you do you do you know who translated the popular version that became a bestseller in the united states was no. a fellow named whitaker chambers who was a primary witness for Joseph McCarthy and the army McCarthy and not the <laughs> army McCarthy. He was one of the bad guys during the early years of Nixon, uh, vice president. And, uh, lovely, lovely. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, so that's my first. Now, Alex round two, what else are you looking at? Round two, April 12th, C.S.E. <laughs> Cooney, Saint Death's Daughter, mm-hmm. which I've been reading her short fiction for a long time, mm-hmm. not all of it because there's a ton of it. And I'm always like, whatever of hers that I read, I'm always like, ooh, I have like a bubbly feeling of like someone who just really likes words a lot and had a really good time. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I have not finished this book, but I have started. And it feels like someone likes words a lot and is having a really good time. Um, the pitch for it is like all over this, and it's all things that are specifically tailored for me. It's like, mm-hmm. I think it, it's Gideon the Ninth on the back. And I'm like, yes, all right. But it's also like sort of a recent novel of manners kind of a feeling. And then it also mm-hmm. has footnote. Um, and then it also just has like powerfully weird thing. Like I'm only in and there's already been a haunted, a man who turns to a falcon, like an allergy to violence, like someone with a physical allergy to violence. Like there's so much going on. But I think it is dumb and fun, and we all. <laughs> I, I should mention I have that, and I've not started it yet. I and I, I like Claire's work a lot. I'm just intimidated by a 650-page novel, which is the first of a trilogy. That just is a thing with me. That's very fair. <laughs> How about you, Ian? Round two. Well, I, we didn't plan this, but I also have a, a book by Claire, uh, which I just finished. Um, so Claire Cooney, CSE Cooney, uh, Dark Breakers brings together um, her stories set in sort of a, it's not our world, but it's sort of a 19 jazz age where there were, um, where fairy and goblins and together, except the nonsense, but you get the idea. And then it was, there was a war of the changelings, which saw the barriers between them broken apart. And there's only certain spots where you can enter those worlds. One of them is a house. Um, and it's all the stuff that goes around uh, between the this veil between the world. And I, I, the thing I, I would say, the reason I think we said Alex, she's all about the the language, but she's the next best thing. I, I'm I am so in love with her writing because um, she, it's just the way. I, I don't normally weep at the end of things, but but this and, and this this is a collection because what it does is it brings together two of the novellas that were previously previously published. There is a third novella that Tor published, Desmodona. Got that Desdemona. Right. You, you know, yeah, Desmodona. De, sorry, Desdemona. say that again. That's it. Thank you. I'm terrible. And then there are three short stories in this book that are original to this book. One of them actually not a short story. It's, it's also a novella. And it just ties it all together and, and does so in a way that the final story, which is sort of a coda on the three novellas, 
it, it just had me, you know, and, and it's because of her love of language, but also her character work is wonderful, just mm-hmm. spot on, on point. And, and it's, you come across a writer who can do that. You say, more, please. I want more of this. Just keep, especially in this oh, time and day. So heartfelt and yes. but without being like, like it feels very yes. sincere in a way that I Correct. Earnest and sincere. Absolutely. And honest and authentic. All those words. <clears throat> Just wonderful. So yes, well, we highly, need to, Jonathan. We, we need to get Claire on the uh, on, on the podcast for sure. a couple of. For one thing, uh, I, I she's somebody who studied very seriously with Jean Wolfe, and yet her fiction doesn't look like Jean Wolfe's fiction, and yet some of the movement in that fiction does look like Jean Wolfe. Uh, and so I'm I'm curious to how she's internalized. I know it's a it's a very close you know friendship that she had with, and she describes Jean as her mentor. And I'm I'm glad that I don't see obvious. Uh, traces of, of Jean Wolfe in her fiction, but I know they're there and I know she's hiding them from us. And I'm going to ask her. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I would fully support such a podcast. <laughs> Something like that. James, round two. Uh, my second book is Hanya Yanagihara's um, To Paradise, which comes out, I think, this week. Um, reviews around it sounds strange on a scale described. I don't know if any have read about it. So it, it's a kind oh, yes. of three part oh, narrative. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah, it sounds so weird. Three part narrative. Um, the first is set in '53, uh, where I think it's after the Civil War and New York's become part of the free states where homosexuality is fine, but you can also have multiple brides. Um, the second's in kind of 90s New York and while well, the AIDS epidemic is kind of raging and the third set about a hundred in a kind of totalitarian state in a pandemic it sounds utterly weird um and I like I'm, I'm really interested to read it I have very mixed feelings about her last book A Little Life which many people adored um I thought it was I didn't no I thought it was I thought it was trauma but um but I mean but having said that there's something really strange and uncompromising about her kind of vision. And it's there in the first novel as well, which is a really interesting book. And there's a lot of very under the surface in her books. The about... first novel's great. Her first the first novel's great. great. I think the first novel's really great. I, I haven't read the first novel. But the second I, I one think... is, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, okay. I mean, look, I kind of, yes, I agree with you on a whole range of levels. I also think that it's a book that wants to kind of talk about the intractability of trauma in a, in a really interesting kind of way. And it kind of enacts the thing that it's talking about. Now, I disliked it because there was a kind of, yeah, I mean, I, I just thought that combined with the kind of weird elevated world that the mind of that kind of the world of the rich in New York, the kind of unbelievably torture, violence, it kind of lurched into a kind of kitsch for me that I just couldn't cope with. But but it's an interesting book. Do you know what I mean? It's one of those books, and and you can and what interests me is the incredibly into it. I mean, I know I could name you half dozen who say some version of it's the best book I've ever read. Yes, yeah, so, I mean, I think that's there's something really. And, and this book sounds so utterly weird, you know. And she's so weird about gender. She's so weird about sexuality, you know. She, <laughs> that's uh, my computer. Uh, um, <laughs> um uh, it's Siri turning itself on. But um, I think that those kind of questions going on in it of maleness and gender, you know, this book sounds like it's absolutely situated in them and I'm kind of interested to see what she does with it. And, and you know, there's all of the pandemic. How do you write about and read about pandemics when you're in the middle of one? So that, that's all. I'm really interested. I don't know if I'm going to like it, but I'm really interested. <laughs> I think I'm tempted to read it, but I feel like I would be reading it defensively or something. All I'm going to say is that if anybody is not subscribed to or read Brandon Taylor's newsletter, 
uh, he has his, he writes ridiculously long and thoughtful essays, like every week. I don't really understand how, but this most recent one was partially a review of that book, partially a re- review of the reviews that have been coming out and all of the discourse that exists around it. And then tying that into that, um, article called the trauma plot that came yeah, the out like two Siegel, weeks. the Paul Siegel yes, article. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So he like yeah. ties all that together in some ways that I thought were really interesting. Yeah, he's great. He's great. I've heard him talk about Sally Rue. He's Anyway, sorry. I know, Jonathan, I know we've got like about 84 books to get through, but he's, so I've got yeah, to get on that. Yeah, he's newsletter. terrific. And his criticism <laughs> is like so valuable. Yeah, he's yeah. Ter- Okay, let's get this out of the way and, and Alex can leave the room now if she wants to, but let me explain why I put down A Mirror Mended as one of the books I was looking forward to. First of all... I'm sorry, what's that? Um, okay, you, you, you're going to just snark all through this, aren't you? You're just going to make this impossible. Maybe to get I'll through. just mute myself. I'll just, I'll just walk away. First of, all, first of all, I did not have a copy of it. It was not a book that I had seen. I've gotten a, I got a copy the day before. Secondly, things that you are looking forward to include things that you know you are looking forward to. And on the basis of... A spindle splintered. I knew I would. I, I'm a sucker for critical fiction. I am a sucker for uh, redactions. I mean, I read a lot of those Perry Windling and Ellen Datlow series that they did years ago. I Donald Barthelme, Snow White. I was. I was so anything that sort of reinvents the genre and uh, and examines it from from uh, a a new and oh, let me say more sophisticated point of view. So I, I, I've, I've not read it. I'm looking forward to it. And the reason I'm looking forward to it is because I know it'll be a lot of fun. And that's not based on anything other than having read Alex. And I'm, hoping, I'm a fan. You know, I'm a fan. I, I heard it was so-so. All right. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> also, it's not, it's, 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 it's not a big, well, it's, it's technically a novella. It right? is short. It is short. That is short. I will state for well free. okay as, as, can i state as a general rule i always look forward to short books <laughs> it is the rare case where it's a series and i'm hoping for more i stay I'm, I'm on the cards are going i'm hoping nope. for more and, 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 no she goes she's like i'm done hard hard no. hard out <laughs> it's the only sequel i've ever written so far i've never done a sequel anything and they're really hard <laughs> and like hard to I, I, just like I don't know. I don't I think know, that's I'm for con- me. <laughs> <laughs> I know I had, I had a conversation recently about being sorry. Well, we should mention this book isn't out until June. Am I right? Something like that. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. a lot of these books we're talking about are some months off from. Yes, yeah, you have to look forward to that. That's the whole point. Pre-order them, right? But but they're for looking forward to. That's like in in, in the whole time. Okay, so ah, uh, my next pick is a is a book about books to some degree. I am a book person. I am a sucker for it. I had read R.F. Quang's The Poppy War and other mm. work, and uh, Rebecca has a book coming out in August of the called Babel or the Necessity of Violence: An Arcane History of the Oxford Translators Revolution. Now, right away, I love the book just because of the title. I'm, I'm like there; it hits every uh-huh. one of my personal weaknesses. Uh, Rebecca's a great uh, writer. I mean, she's done. It's set in the 1930s. Cholera. There's all kind, of, and it's all about tra- translation. All kind of Sounds fascinating. I'm, I'm really utterly sold on this. Um, in fact, I realized, you know, sometimes you realize a little bit after the fact that you're being stupid. And the point where I'm being stupid with this book is I suddenly realized Rebecca's editor is my editor, so I bet I can get a copy. Of it. So I reckon that's what I'm going to be doing after I get off the podcast is I'm going to be chasing down a copy of it. It's apparently very much a, you know, Donna Tart secret history meets Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. And again, that's me. I mean, admittedly, it's probably 12,000 pages long. That's not a big It's plus. very long. <laughs> Have you read it? I have seen some pieces of it. 
um, because it is so specifically things that I love. Um, mm -hmm. And just yes, eighty-five yeah, billion. Someone pages, who's inside that's it's eighty-five billion pages, but someone who's inside sort of that particular ivory tower, and she's studying languages and history, and mm -hmm. is writing this book that is like about the power of translating words and like the imperial yep. project that translation is um yes. and actively and violently undermining that is very mm, very excited <laughs> okay round three where we can now come back to alex and go what is next this one is not 80 billion pages uh it is a novella nicola griffith that is out april 19th and spear and I have already read it also, <laughs> but it's, um, so Nicola Griffith is a writer that I've loved for like my entire life, pretty much. Um, I think my mom gave me Ammonite when I was maybe 12 or 13 and it's, I've reread it like every couple of years, I reread it and I've read pretty much she's written and I think she's a genius, like in a, in a non-ironic way. Um, and so now both with Hild and Spear, she is sort of messing with the other most formative kinds of things I read young, like swords, knights, Arthur, Merlin, girls with swords. Like she is now coming into my house <laughs> and I'm so excited about it. Um, and she just does the mythic so extremely well, but balances it with her like absurdly detailed knowledge of medieval history and her just human for real. So it's, it's, I think a perfect, it felt like watching the green Knight, but happier. <laughs> I thought I, I read it as well, and I uh, I was amazed by how it began. It begins a lot like Hild. It's a very beautifully yeah. written young girl in nature, learning the world, observing the world around her, and then it it suddenly turns into a kind of counter Arthurian romance set in Wales. And she, you're right, she did phenomenally. I, I, I talked to her about this. We did a panel last fall. Not, not about this specifically. But yeah, she went and, and found all the medieval names, all the medieval Welsh names yeah. of all the Arthurian characters, and then writes her own story. So it's not a redaction. It's not another familiar Arthur Lancelot Guinevere thing at all. It's, it's a version of Percival, really. But, by the, but she starts off with this lyrical, beautiful writing, and by the end, it's a suspense novel. It's an adventure story, and it's moving at a rapid clip. You're like, oh, wait, you write thrillers, too, don't yeah, exactly you? Exactly right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Crime novels, very good crime novel. And, very and, good and crime the, novel. And the best science fiction novel nobody reads, Slow River. Slow River. Which I think is an yeah. astonishing book. Mm -hmm. I love I've read it. It's terrific. It, Best it's novel brilliant. ever written about sewage. Indeed. Well, that's not a, a long list, but still. Anyway, Ian, how about you? What, what comes next in, yes, in the so, Ian-verse? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cheat and talk about three, uh, but, they'll be, but I'll be quick because it's, there's a theme to it. So there's this thing going on, a phenomena. Gary, you should be writing this down, uh, where literary authors – now, there's a long thing of literary authors getting in, but there's a bunch of now literary authors who are now getting in high fantasy. It's bizarre. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, which and unexpected. So we saw Alex Phoebe uh, last year for right. I, I don't know times, of, and his second novel uh, Malakoy is coming out from in uh, August, which I'm extremely looking forward to. This is a sequel to Mordu, and oh, I can't. Mordu was amazing, but mm. but completely different. So I knew him as a literary writer, and I'd read his uh, his uh, Lucia, I think it's called the the book about. Uh, James Joyce's daughter. Um, that that that's an extraordinary book. Mm. And to the last thing I expected from Alex Phoebe, Mordew, But there you go. And then this year we'll also see uh, Otessa Moshveg write a fantasy novel called Lapvona. That's coming out. Uh, I'm not sure when, but in, in a few months. Again, I've all I've read plenty of uh, Moshveg's 
literary books, which all have a sort of dark genre-ish edge to them, but they've never been full I, I, on I, straight. I, I, I can't imagine an Ostessin. I mean, first of all, the books have no plots. Oh, the, the, yes. <laughs> the, the murder one does, but the others have no. I mean, they're, they're kind of anti-plot, but it's also like there's so much about grossness. I mean, what's the what's the fantasy novel going to be about? Like fungus between the horses. Well, well, the joke of it is that it's going to be a fantasy. Like, you know, it's going to be a fantasy novel, but with more bodily juices than one would expect. Yeah. From, from your average fantasy level. <laughs> not, not, not so much high fantasy as abject fantasy. Well, it's like, set know. in a secondary... <laughs> so the point I'm making is, from what I can tell, it's set in a secondary world. So, you know, so it's just like uh, the Phoebe. It's set in a secondary world, but written by someone who... The last thing you'd think Otesha Moshveg would be writing is this. But here it is. <laughs> and and then and then, the, and then the other one is Will Wiles, whose last book was Plume, Rippick, who also is a literary writer, who also plays... He has actually written genuine genre novels but again they're all very uh in that liminal sense wayward in is one of the anyway plume uh wasn't so much um but it was great really good um but he's writing as well a uh, a genuine straight out second secondary world fantasy novel which angry robot is publishing mm. and this is what i was really going to talk about which is the last blade priest which uh i'm already hunting around to get a copy of so i can root for locus because i think he's terrific so so this is so that's three authors so that's a trend gary if it's two <laughs> i can understand under jewish law that's a chazaka therefore it's a trend therefore it's a thing okay so uh, so i'm just saying it's a thing gary okay there's the thing and there's there's another thing involving more or less mainstream authors, which is going to come up later, and I'll okay. add to that. But there, it, it also has to do with this thing of everybody. Everybody wants a piece of genre. Too often, and I have, and of course, it's all for the money. Of course, I haven't mentioned uh, Marlon um, James. Marlon uh, James. Yeah, Marlon yeah. James. He's doing uh, the same. So that's four, really. So it's a genuine thing going on here. It's only a trend. There's an old one now. Yeah, that's anyway. right. <laughs> Anyway, James. That, that's it. That's it. I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll go on. Yes. I'll be quick. Uh, my three would be, say, it's Goliath. Um, I really liked his first one, which I only read quite recently, Right Baby. Um, this one is a more kind of conventional, it's fictional novel. It's set, I think, in the 50s. Um, lots of the rich people have fled Earth to live in space colonies, and now they're kind of hoovering up the old neighbourhoods and taking them away brick by brick to space. And so... It seems to be a novel which is about, you know, a series of questions about about kind of the disparities in wealth and power and and about questions of gentrification and things like that. But I just think I thought Riot Baby was it seemed to me to be a novel talking in a really fascinating way about the degree to which the traumas continue to inhabit both the present and future. And this seems to be a novel that's kind of pushing that line further, that, that kind of line of action further, but which is also trying to ask some questions about, you know, this future that we're building, is it one that just replicates the inequities? And, and that just looks to me like a really... And so I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I haven't read any of mine, so I can't talk about them in a, <laughs> in a past tense kind of way, but it's certainly one of the books that I've been reading since I've read about. Okay, Gary, book three. Um, I'm going to mention uh, something I know not much about, The do the Daughter of Dr. Morrow by Sylvia Morena Garcia, only because she's utterly fascinating. I mean, she's moving around in different... She's trying out a different genre with every novel. I didn't finish Velvet with the Night, but I started out, and I thought, this is pitch perfect. This is somebody who's mastered that tone. And then when she wrote Mexican Gothic, she had mastered that tone. And going back all the way to... I think her first novel, which was about largely about her dad's love of music. Um, and I figure, okay, first of all, 
Dr. Moreau novels, there's a whole shelf of them now. We've already seen Daryl Gregory this year. There's Brian Aldiss before that. There's, I don't know how many Dr. So, so this has got to be a, a, another sort of critical fiction thing. It goes back to what I was kind of saying about Alex's book. I love books that are about other books and that rethink them in interesting ways. That's Excellent. all I know about it. Um, I'm Fair enough. To that one too. Yep. Well, having gone off my list that I sent you all already once, I'm going to go off my list a second time. And it tells you how optimistic I am about the reading we're going to do in 2022 that I can randomly pull, 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 pull books from the air that I'm excited about. Alex mentioned Hilt. A book that I think about in the same space is Ash, by A Secret History by Mary Gentle, which is a simply fabulous. Now, Mary Gentle hasn't written much of late but has a new book coming out in May called The Landing, which is basically her version of a rendezvous with Rama types. It involves Ooh. a 105-year-old great-grandmother, President of the United States, his bodyguard, and a near-Earth object that changes direction as it approaches the planet. Everybody thought it was a uh, an asteroid. And it sounds fabulous and strange and weird in exactly the way Mary Gentle's great, strange books sound great. So I can't, I'm very, very eager to read it. I just realized I also know someone to ask for <laughs> Because, I mean, have you guys, you guys read Ash, right? You've read, I know you've read Ash, Gary. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've read, a, I've read Ash. Yeah. Ash you took me about eight Ash? months to read, but I've, I've, it's very I long. It's massive. I silently it's, shaking my head. It's okay. big. It hurts the wrist. And it's got footnotes for me and all sorts of other things. It's, it's fascinating. Yeah. Actually, Ash is, is a remarkable book. It really is. Those, that's yeah. all selling points. If there's a good book that can take 800 pages, please just give me Jinjo over and over again. That's all I really want. Well, in my but the heart. thing about it is, from memory, and I, and I finished it 25,000 years ago, but it's it's a it's a history. It's a it's a recounting. So there's a meta narrative mm. that runs through it. So it's a oh, it's a recalling of history, and it does that whole historical. So it's it's written as if it's a historical document, and mm. and it does it so well. It's so so beautiful. Yeah, really so oh, that's why I'm, that's you just said there. Yeah. Gary's got me all ex- uh, sorry, got me all excited. Yeah. Oh, I'm, yeah, I'm, 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 yeah. Is it my turn? Okay, no, you did, did, no, it's oh, not. You did, had your did, you turn. Did. My turn. Oh, what was that, James? My turn. Yeah, yes. Yes, yes, yes. It's follow-up to June. Isn't, isn't the, Denis uh, Villeneuve uh, supposedly directing a version of Rama at some point? James just said yeah. that. Ah, okay. I was, <laughs> I was looking at my notes. I can't. Do- Guys, I heard that Denis Villeneuve I- is going to be directing a version. <laughs> 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 it's it's, it's, it's exciting to me because I reread Rendezvous with Rama about a year ago, so I feel like I'm ready for this. I'm the only person who's read it in the last 30 years. <laughs> like... uh, okay, Alex, book four. Book four, out on May 10th, by Nevo, Siren. Um, so for anybody who loved The Chosen and The Beautiful or any of her novellas this is the same gorgeous prose and this is actually technically the same world as the chosen and the beautiful none of the overlapping characters but it's the same like intensely nostalgic but bitter version of like an american era so the last one was gatsby this is 1930s hollywood Mm. so it's like the that particular vibe and feeling but she infuses it with all this deeply weird magic and it follows a chinese american aspiring actress who goes from like bit parts and she wants to become like a star and is like cast as the monster right for like obvious Mm. racially loaded reasons um and it's weirder it's structurally much less clear than chosen and beautiful and i think it's even better i loved that one and i love this one more because it's more ambitious and weird and sharp and kind of mean like your main character is what i think would be just generally classified as an unlikable main character and i 
I would die for her. Um, so I'm really excited for other people. The assumption I'd made Excellent. about it was that without having, we did have her on the podcast. I don't think we talked about it. But it sounds like the career of Anna Mae Wong, who actually was a Chinese-American, turned into fantasy. The structure of thing doesn't surprise me because one of the things that I, I, she was well aware of this, with The Chosen and the Beautiful, she was given a structure. She had to work within a framework. Uh, so when you're looking at a Hollywood career, which is essentially what this one sounds like, it doesn't have that kind of narrative. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It feels like Chosen and Beautiful was sort of forced in some ways to like be subsumed into right. this big narrative where everyone knows the thing, right? And right. it did really clever things with that. But this one, you're like, where are we going the mm. whole time? And I really enjoyed it. Okay, Ian, book four on your list, everybody. So there are just some authors that you see and you do the little, when you see that they've got a new <laughs> book out because they don't necessarily, they don't necessarily produce one uh you know, every year. Uh, last year for me, that was uh, Ruth Azeki and Monica Byrne. But, you know, both of them had books out. There was seven or eight years apart between those books, and I got extremely excited. And the Monica Byrne mentioned it last podcast. Ruth Azeki's is good too. Just, um, and this one, this year for me, that's uh, Karen Joy Fowler's latest. I don't know when we all com- are all completely beside ourselves came out, but it feels like about 100 years. I say that of everything. Uh, but her latest will be uh, Booth, which uh, Gary said before the podcast potentially, but maybe not linked to some of it, uh, because it does uh, draw on the family uh, mm. of uh, the Booth family, uh, as we, we all know what Johnny, Mr. Wilkes Booth did uh, with, with Abraham. But this this looks at the family, uh, all the adults uh, who mm. survived to adulthood, because, of course, there were not all of them uh, would have back in the 1930s. And, of course, it, it, it leads up uh, to the Civil War, etc. And I suppose... Um, you know, there's a lot of talk about the Civil War right now for reasons that I'm not going to go into, to be obvious. And so I think this is potentially going to be a current, uh, you know, and, and relevant when it comes out. But it may, Gary, have that whole ghost thing that you were talking about off podcast because the Ruth Ozeki quote does mention that it uh, she teases ghosts from their shadows, transforming the way we see the past, shedding uh-huh. new light, trouble present. Now, that could be a metaphor. Or it could be, as you said, sort of an extension of what she, the short story that she wrote, which I don't, I haven't read, but you really have. It's in so. her collection called uh, Things I Didn't See. Uh, and there were two stories. One was a story about a young girl who was a fan of Boo, and it takes place right around the actual assassin. The second one, and this is what, it's been 10, 12 years since that collection. And the second one, the Booth story was original to the collection. Now that I so my guess is, and I love to romanticize about how authors think, that she's just been meditating about this for she couldn't get it out of her head she had to follow up on, on on the booth family and it sounds like she's done this and really when you're talking about karen joy fowler i don't care if it turns out to have a supernatural or science fiction element at all she writes like that uh, one of my favorite karen joy fowler stories is called the science of herself which is um a story of the okay now i'm blanking on her name the Vic- mary the victorian Annie. yes uh and it's virtually a nonfiction account of her life and career. And it reads like a great science fiction. And I'm sure that Booth, whether it's got ghosts in it or not, will read like a great ghost story. Well, just yeah. go and Google the cover ah. of Booth. Yeah. So it plays the full Shakespeare. You've got, uh, I assume, Junius Booth uh, doing Hamlet mm. oh. uh, on the front cover with the skull and a bullet hole. Just bring it. So, uh, it's really uh, solid uh, work. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, I'll be reading that one. Uh, I will. Coming yeah. in March. Okay. Coming Jack, March. the other book five, book five in the James Verse. Sure. What I was going to in the James. Um, 
but um, I was going to say the the other Sarah Canary is a very odd book, and a very interesting. Mm. So you know, perhaps mm. it'll be historical in the same sense that that is it exactly, exactly. Book, but yes. Um. Uh, so my my fourth book is uh, the Emily St John Mandel book, Sea of Tranquility, which seems to be kind of. Well, it seems to be is set, you know, begins on, it's another novel with multiple parts. Um, one is a moon colony and there's a writer there. And then in the past, back in the early 20th century, and a detective with some kind of time anomaly. But it's somehow connected to her last novel, The Glass Hotel, which I really, really loved. Mm-hmm. Um, and it in turn was connected to Station Eleven and characters from Station Eleven turn up in The Glass Hotel. Um, I don't have any idea. Like the description, it's very difficult to tell what it's actually about. But the thing that was really fascinating to tell was this, this kind of structured book. It's like this kind of puzzle box novel. It's interested in questions of disaster in the same way that, that Station Eleven's interested in questions of disaster, it's in questions about wealth um, and what that does to people. But there's this kind of conversation in all of her novels about kind of contingency and those kind of counter lives that we might have lived and you know, kind of alternate realities. So the characters who turn up in station in the glass hotel from station 11, they're the same characters, but it's the same. So the things that happen to them in station 11 have them. So I suspect this novel is again, there's that kind of questions of fiction of, you know, of kind of the contingency of any of the, of all of those. So is she playing the David Mitchell game? Do you think? So interesting. Well, this is, okay. I don't know. It's, it's, Ian, I was going to ask this. Same question because that is my mainstream trend that I've been seeing, and i I don't know ah. I, I don't know whether it started with Cloud Atlas. Uh, Matt Bell's Appleseed last year did the same thing, part at the beginning of the ninth, of the eighteenth century, part in the near future, part in the distant future. Uh, this is partly in nineteen twelve, partly in the near future. Which the part in the near future deals with a best-selling writer who had written a book about a pandemic, and then years later a pandemic happened. Don't think there's anything autobiographical about that, do we? Um, and then the distant future, and 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 so that's that's three of them within the last no, no. few years. So Gary, so Gary, Gary, you're talking a different phenomenon. When I said Dave Mitchell, I didn't mean in the the way that he splits the stories, different ah. timelines, but more the more the books themselves speaking to, to each other in different ways, but that's not true. ways that you'd expect. So seeding characters in one book who appear in the next book but aren't necessarily the same person, you know, or, or, or ah. slightly slightly different, askew in some way. So I'm just wondering if uh, Mandel's doing something similar to that. Sort of uh, that well, uh, what I'd say is that with Mitchell, it's actually that it's a kind of, it is a co-universe that he's taking slices out of. With her books, it's something slightly different. It's more like they turn up as different versions of themselves in, in the same kind of way that someone like Stanley Robinson's all inhabit kind of, connected but you know um but but it does but that whole conversation about and there's a whole section of the bernie madoff character kind of imagines himself another life that he didn't have if i remember correctly years ago mm. um uh about contingency and stuff about pandemic again as gary said kind of cropping up there's something i just think it's going to i'm really looking forward to because i really love the, like, the glass hotel is such an incredibly cleverly and resonantly structured and it's it, i found it such a a fascinating and kind of beautiful book to read uh, just as a kind of watching the craft of making this work together. So I'm really fascinated to see this one and where she goes. I'm curious. I mean, uh, I was also thinking in terms of these tripartite starting in the past, present, future, distant future. I got another book sent to my Kindle called Walk the Vanished Earth by Aaron Swan. I'd never heard of mm. it. A publishers, and it's the same thing. It's parts of it in 1875, part in the near future, part in the more distant. And it's interesting, and I appreciate this. There are things I've I've read the uh, Saint John Mandel novel, and she seems more comfortable 
in the past than she does in the future and more comfortable in the future than she does in the distant. And there are trivial things that can just gnaw at me. And one of the very trivial things in the novel that threw me out of her 24th century was the idea that universities were still giving tenure in the 24th century. Ain't going to happen. It won't. I, I, I think, look, I think, I think that I actually have a, a range of these kind of novels that are set over large periods yeah. of time and have broken structures, you know, and, and the Nemagatsu book, um, How High We Go in the Dark, that, that Alex talked about at the beginning, which I haven't read yet, but is another one that's doing that. I suspect it's something about trying to write fiction which can somehow find a structure that talks about larger scales, that somehow talks about the kind of ways that different kind of temporal periods speak to each other. Because it's one of the things we're all trying to do at the moment is to kind of think our way mm. out of this tiny moment and see how everything connects, both forward and backwards. And I suspect it's fiction trying to find structures that will do that. And it's why you see a lot of it around trying to think about how do I think about deep history? How do I think about the deep future and do it in fiction? It's mm. a structural device to do that. But, um, but yeah, I mean, maybe it's just the hottest thing. No, I think at least how, how high we go in the dark into that because it opens archaeologists studying of civilizations that are not so like ancienters mm -hmm. so it's very 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 much about future you'll be able to see into the past and like time is going to become like weird <laughs> condensed yeah, and well, flattened in strange ways yeah yeah I, I mean you both have at the moment the kind of climate the climate crisis is a kind of crisis of temporality at some level it's about kind of temporality is kind of coming out of out of rhythm with each other. But, you know, the pandemic is the same thing. I mean, it's all about temporality. I mean, people wonder what the novel's going to be like. I suspect lots of them are going to be about kind of fracturing of time because that's what we've all experienced over the last two years. So you have these two kind of layers of kind of temporal dislocation, I think, sitting on top of each other at the moment, and the fiction's trying to get at that. And I think that's one of the ways, this is one of the ways it's doing it. That would be my, you know, crackpot. <laughs> What have I got? Uh, okay, another book I don't know anything about. It's an author I admire. is Kelly Robson's High Times and the Low Parliament, which sounds funny to begin with. She's got a terrific sense of, they've got a terrific sense. And all the short fiction and everything I've read so far has made me think that this is a promising, probably, I don't know. Uh, it, it seems to be a high fantasy, but it seems to be a parody of high fantasy, which again is one of those books, critical fiction things that I tend to be attracted to. Do you know anything about it, Jonathan? I mean, you know Kelly. I'm halfway through reading it at the moment. Oh, yeah. You're not going to tell and, me anything. <laughs> and it's no, – I'm, I'm really enjoying it. I, mean, I love everything Ke Kelly does. It strikes me as the most Kelly book I've ever read. Hmm. It is okay. um, <sighs> rough queer girls, crass fairies, pout politics, all kinds of strange and weird fun. It's great. It really is great, so far at least. I mean, it could fall. And so I, I would, it would have been on my list. Where's my list? Sort of not the list it already is. If you... My next book, I mean, takes me back to being 19 or 20 years old and walking through a steamingly hot, incredibly hot summer day and seeing a book in a window when I saw this book had fan art on the cover. It was a fantasy novel, unlike any art I'd seen. It was a book called The Summer Tree. And I fell into it and waited for its sequels for some years uh, and when Guy Gavriel Kay followed it with Tagana, which was the really the first most Gavriel, Guy Gavriel Kay type book he wrote. I mean, uh, Kay wrote editing um, the Silmarillion. He was one of the editors of the Silmarillion with uh, Christopher Tolkien. Uh, and I think that profoundly in influenced what he did right after the Silmarillion, which was 
the Fionnivar Tapestry, the most classically fantasy, the, most, the only secondary. And then he's done this se- long sequence of historical fantasy, sometimes you know, sort of secondary world fantasy, where it takes you to an alternate world. He did a pair of books of stars and escaping me, set, set in under the China, China's history, under heaven, both of which were stunningly brilliant. And he has a book coming out in May called All the Seas. Now, All the Seas of the World is related to his previous books of Brightness Long Ago and Children of Earth and Sky, set in a semi-renaissance world uh in, in and around sort of that you know sort of that period across across europe it fictionalizes you know sort of the seagoing parts of europe and there's no one like like him when it comes to this. i'm i mean i'm desperately one of the books of the year, easily I'm, I'm so excited to read it jonathan i, I love guy kate and I, I i really love the lark um enormously i mean and i and under heaven is actually sorry river of stars but river of yeah. stars is actually one of my favorite um but I mean, the thing I think is really fascinating is this is again someone who uses these kind of quite complex narrative structures. But there's a kind of really interesting kind of theory, both theory of fiction and theory of Hugh of the books. And there's that great John Lennon about like you know life's what happens to you when you. And his novels are kind of instantiations of that. Like mm-hmm. you know he'll do this weird thing where the really big moment, you know, what what in another novel would be the really kind of happens off stage or is dealt with in two lines. And then it's actually about the stuff that actually shapes the characters' lives, like the kind of the business of the life. And there's something really fascinating going on about the way lives are shaped and kind of flowing through the books. I mean, in that, that kind of sense of the kind of life over time, you know, and often quite yeah. long. So I just, I, I, I love them. I'm looking forward. Look, I'm looking forward to this, but I mean, you, you're citing River of Stars, very appropriate. I read a couple of books in 2020 that re-address or that address periods in and they all like they always felt somewhat muddled and unclear about history, the time that they were delivering, and the, and what Kay had. He's so in control of his uh, material that no matter how compli- complex it might be, it is always simple. Always know who yeah. you're dealing with. I mean, I don't like cast of characters at the front of. I don't particularly like maps at the front of books. I figure I should be able to work out who it is as I go through. And if I don't know who I'm reading as I go through, I feel it's a failing of the story. So a couple of the books which I shan't name because I liked other things about them, needed that kind of guidance. Guys' books just don't. They they are just too mm-hmm. well done. And one of the things I mean to do in 2020 is to go back. Or is to go back and reread. But anyway, book five, and I guess practically probably the last of our proper sort of dives in. It comes to your last big uh, choice. Well, I just decided to go with an obscure series, The Locked Tomb. I don't know oh, if yeah. anybody's heard of that. No, <laughs> yeah. no, no, no. It doesn't have a super intense and dedicated fandom like that. Um, <laughs> so Nona the Ninth is out September 13th. Um, I loved Gideon. I eventually loved Harrow, but it was hard to get through the first time. And now having read Nona, I'm like, I'm on board. I am fully... I'm no longer fighting it. I'm no longer like, is she taking me somewhere that I think is worth going? I believe it. I'm a follower. I am here for the ride. <laughs> and I guess it's important saying, this is the book that they didn't expect to have, isn't it? This is the, you know, there were supposed to be three of these books and this is the book that gets dropped in that wasn't really originally planned. Uh-huh. So this is, a, anything that I could say about the title of this book is inevitably, hmm. but they originally told us this is the elect of the ninth. And then they were like, yes. whoops, surprise, it's known of the ninth, and Elect of the Ninth is pushed out another year. So um, mm. I think that that narrative is false. <laughs> <laughs> I think there are many levels uh. going on here, but um, I, it's really, it does. I think if you are a fan of the series, you're a little bit like, oh man, are we going on a side quest? Where's Elect of the Ninth? You're not going on a side quest, it's fine. Okay. Okay, Ian, 
How about Jonathan, you? are you there? You have another book to recommend? Oh, so so you cut out there. So you've you've come to me. Uh, no, no, you, you, you're you're fine. You're back. You're back. You're back, Ian. Yeah, no, no. Are you back, Jonathan? Yeah, bring us. Okay, well, just what, just what, talk and fill the space. We'll we'll, we'll, we'll talk. Okay. We'll talk and pretend, Jonathan. Let's talk about Jonathan. He can't hear us. Okay, no, I'm here. I'm here. <laughs> okay. All right, there he is. Okay, okay cool. fine. All right, yeah. Ian. Thank you. This book. Um, well, no conflict of interest at all, uh, but frankly, uh, she's amazing. It'd be wrong to mention that uh, Kirsten McDermott, my co-host on the Writer and the Critic podcast, uh, has a collection out called Hard Places. I believe it's out in June or July. Um, it's a reprint collection, so it is all her previous fiction I've read. Uh, uh, yeah, I, this everyone should buy this. Kirsten... Um, yeah, is, is just amazing as a writer. Uh, I've been her work since I was a little boy and uh, since we first met um, many, many years ago. So I've known Kirsten for wow, five, twenty, and she's always been an astonishing writer. And so I think, um, yeah, I hope Hard Places gets out and about uh, and gets uh, noticed, uh, yeah, beyond just Australia. So that's it. And also I should note that um, she has a bunch of chat books coming out from uh, – Brain Jar, Peter Ball's uh, publishing yep. company. Brain Jar Press, yeah. yeah. Uh, but, but, so this is essentially all the stories, fairy tale stories. So Alex, you'd, I think you'd have an, all the fairy stories, uh, tales that she wrote for her doctorate are now being packaged together as chapbooks, which will then be collected as a whole in 23, starting. So uh, seriously, Kirsten is uh, extraordinary. I, I, mm. Yes, and... Uh, Definitely look out for, for that. But to begin with, uh, Hard Place out this year. And I will. I was going to add another book, but I don't know, Jonathan, if you're going to mention it. So I'll, I'll wait till you've gone. If you don't, then I'm, I'm going to so <laughs> I actually am going to mention it. You watch. I know what I'm going to mention. Okay. okay. James, how about you? What, what, what's, what, what hits the end of your list for the uh, my fifth is uh, Jane. So I, I, I should at the beginning do a conflict of interest because I'm always complaining about people not doing this in and blurbs. Jane is a friend of mine. Um, but uh it's jane rawson's book um history of dreams uh jane's last book from the wreck is one that many people will have read it's a a, a kind of incredibly strange and interesting kind of book about environmental crisis and trauma and you know intelligent octopuses crawling into shipwrecks off south australia um like it's deeply weird deeply funny really interesting about kind of coloniality about environmental crisis about all kinds of things she's got a new book coming out called a history of dreams which sounds utterly weird um which is about a group of women who are witches in semaphore which is adelaide where i grew up um during the second world war who are trying to deal with the authoritarian government time and the risk of invasion and start using their magical. Um, it sounds utterly weird. Like it sounds like bedknobs and broomsticks. Sure it sounds well. You know, there's communist. You know, there's horrible chauvinist writers. You know, it's set in Semaphore, which is like four suburbs up the beach from where I grew up. So that's really interesting to me. <laughs> so um, I'm just saying, James, from the wreck is wow. That's what it is. It's yeah. wow. And it's wow. Uh, Yes, and, it, and it's the only, one of the only books I've read twice. That's how, how much I love From the Wreck. So, uh, yeah, you can't pre-order it on the, on the No, Amazon, it's really hard. But... Look, it's Brio. It's, um, it's quite a small press. I don't know if it's available outside of Australia. Um, but, you know, Jane is, she's one of those writers, like, whatever she writes is interesting. I never know what she's going to write next. Whatever it is, is always interesting. And From the Wreck is an amazing book. Her first book's really fantastic as well. You know, I mean, they're all, they're all great. She's a really interesting writer. And this book sounds 
bonkers, but bonkers in a really fun kind of way, and I'm really looking forward. Excellent. How about you, Hopefully Gary? it's available outside you... of Australia, because yes. you know, from the wreck, struggled. To... Yeah, sorry. How would you wind up your list, Gary? Actually, I'm glad that Ian mentioned Kirsten McDermott's collection, because one of the things we tend to do in these looking forward to things is emphasize novels. Mentioned one or two novellas. One of the books I'm looking forward to is, I believe, the first short fiction collection from Sam J. Miller called Boys and Men. And he's been an absolutely interesting, fascinating, I think, courageous writer, a writer who's courageous, I think, with his own feelings. Uh, And uh, a lot of his short fiction has, again, I, I go back to my thing of critical fiction. His take on the thing is still fascinating. A story called Things with Beards, I think, right? Uh, so so I'm, I'm looking for, I've, I'm sure I've not read all of Sam's short fiction, so I'm looking forward to catching up with what I haven't read before. Excellent. Well, my final pick, and I suspect the overlap that he's talking about, <sighs> a book called Devil House by John Darnell. Now, John Darnell is the the central force behind The Mountain Goat, one of my very favorite bands in the whole. He's written three books before, before this, a thoroughly bonkers uh, analysis of Black Sabbath, Black Sabbath, that was done for the 33 and a third series, which is basically <sighs> told from the point of view of a mental health nurse, and it's all told in Black Sabbath lyrics, basically. And it's kind of insane and crazy and fantastic. He then went on and did a book called White Wolf in Van that was up for the National Book Award. That was his debut novel. And his third book, Devil House, is... It's kind of a gothic horror novel, I guess, Ian, isn't it? And I, I mean, I haven't read it yet, but I'm... I'm, I'm really... uh, it's, it's, it's a true crime novel within a true crime novel. That's not a true crime. <laughs> That's what it is, actually. actually. That is actually the best description of the book you could ever come up with. I'm sorry, they should get me to market it. It is a true crime novel within a true crime novel that is not a true crime novel. That is exactly what it is. That's <laughs> Figure that out and go ahead, but it is amazing. In fact, yeah. I will be genuinely – I don't expect it to appear on genre awards, but literary awards. I will be genuinely upset if it's not getting a National Book Award nomination, not the actual winning, but at least a nomination. It is right up there. It's uh, it, one of the things it does is it, it does question the whole nature of the true crime genre in terms of the podcast. No, it, it's more literary. It's focusing more yeah. on the literary side of it, but it can be easily to the podcast, to the media yeah. side, to the TV side of it, and and just the the, the, the focus, the nature, the nature of truth. What does truth mean, huh. really, when yeah. you look at that? And yeah, so it's a true crime, true crime. Well, thank. Thank you for helping out. I'm going to do a quick run around just no because <laughs> anything else that everybody, anybody, that people want to mention just in very quick summary, and then we'll wind up. So, Alex, yeah. uh, we've had five books that you're looking forward to in 2020. Was there anything you wanted to at least a name check before we're done, or are you happily done? I will be really like Jasmine Throne, first book, epic yeah. fantasy. Okay. Ian? I won't uh, name check. Just to say, I, I normally review a lot of uh, translated works, and I haven't mentioned. Yeah. It. And part of the issue there is that I actually don't know about them until they re- until I find them. So yeah. I'm certain there's going to be a bunch of translated stuff that I will come across. That so I, so I don't want to upset anyone. I, I'm pretty sure they're out there. I just haven't stumbled across them. Although there is one that I have reviewed for your machine. Yeah. Which will be okay. Up there. I think actually they might have already come out. But was that January? Yeah. Who knows? It's all a blur. Okay. But anyway, that's just saying there's plenty of translated works out there that I have not mentioned because I don't already know about them. But I will, and then I'll review them, and we'll all love them. That's There you go. How about you, James? (laughs) I'd like to name check any book by somebody that I know that I've forgotten to talk about. Um... 
<laughs> no, look, I, I, no, I'm not going to. I'm so brevity. But um, except maybe one. I know that Claire Collins has got a science fiction oh, really? novel coming out, which I am curious to read. Yeah, I feel, yeah. I saw her saying on Twitter that she was editing the other day. So I'm kind of, I'm, I'm certainly interested in that, but it sounds like it's a way off. Mm. Gary? I was under the impression I was checking off things correctly, but did anybody mention the Simon Jimenez novel? The spear cuts the no, I restructured mine on the fly, so I didn't mention his fantasy novel, The Spear Cuts. The spear, the cuts spear Cuts Through, through Water. water. And again, based on an extraordinary, it seems to me, an extraordinary debut science fiction novel, uh, the fantasy, I have no idea what to expect, but is a very talented writer who interviewed, I think, either in the current or previous issue yeah. of Locus. Current one. Current one. Well, it sounds like there's a hell of a year in, you know, in front of us. I think it might be. I'm, I'm almost curious to say, just to, to suggest we should we should come back at the end of the year and sit there and go, were these books any good in the end? I reckon that that might be fun to, if a little yes, evil. That, that will make us a lot of friends too. That, yeah, that, I know. Uh, yeah, Everyone right. will love that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, Maror, Maror by Lavi Tadjar. We didn't mention that, did we? Maror yeah, by Lavi Tadjar. That's, 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 that's in my notes. You know what's going to happen? Ten book. minutes from now, fifty-five books are going to pop yeah. into my head. Oh yeah, so, same here. I'm, yeah, anyway, oh, Maror by Lavi Tadjar. That, that, that's why I, I, I was putting that disclaimer in place. I'm sure there's things I've forgotten. Of course there are. But I mean, this has been the great thing about doing the year in review thing. And I suppose the evil person will sit there and go, "If you don't mention in your year in review the stuff that you." Uh, we're looking forward to now. That might be the, the negative review you're quietly looking for, I suppose. But I think this might be some great threats. But anyway, for the moment, having done that, I'd just like to thank you all for uh, It's been wonderful. It was great to come back after last year's year in review and touch base. Thanks. So, Alex Harrow, thank you very much for making time for it. It was wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Ian. You're making time. It's been a pleasure. And we finished thank right you. on time for the start watching the cricket. So ah, oh, good man, good man. Yeah. That wasn't deliberate, but we'll take that. Thank you, James. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed it very much. Oh. And Gary. And I guess I guess that means we're done until Jonathan and I are back, maybe with or without somebody, depending on, I don't know, the Omega variant will be around by the time of our next <laughs> podcast, I suppose. Uh, but anyway, me. until then, thank you all. Uh, and then until our next time, this has been the Coon Street Podcast. Bye. Still quietly stuck in. <laughs>